Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast. This is Antonio, and welcome to episode 93, I think. <laughs> I keep losing count. Yeah, 93 for uh, middle of March. So, yeah. Hi, everybody. Hope you're uh, getting ready for springtime, and hopefully the clocks changed, didn't uh, mess anybody up. Um, did me. <laughs> Still on... Still on the previous time change. I know that was last week, but uh, my clocks still haven't switched around a little bit. Although what it what it has let me do is get up early, and uh, now I can be ready for the sunrise. Before the sunrise was just a little bit too early for me now, um, and that's going to change. I guess as the time goes on, as we get closer to the summer, you know, I like to take a lot of sunrise pictures. But yeah, so uh, that's changed a little bit. I actually got up early this morning. And did a sunrise. The weather hasn't been all that exciting in terms of uh, visually uh, uh, the way things looked and visually. So I haven't done any um, sunrises. Well, I did one this morning and it looked pretty good. It wasn't wasn't the kind that I always like with all the sun, with the clouds and the sun uh, reflecting off the clouds. But I did get a nice uh, sun coming through some clouds on the horizon. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, it's a Saturday and I got up early to get the sunrise. Uh, I think it's like at 7... Gosh, 7.02 or 7.03 this morning. So I was able to get up at 6.30, which is when I like to get up anyway. I like getting up early. Uh, but, uh, yeah, as the summer progresses and the sun rises earlier, you <laughs> see less sunrises from me. I, I don't think I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning or 4.30, whatever the earliest sunrise is during the summer. Although I'm never going to say never. You know, who knows? We'll see what happens. So, anyway, I'm, I'm running a little late this month with the episodes and also... I've had a kind of not great week. I haven't been feeling too well. Uh, my wife has been sick all week, and uh, we've sort of been battling colds. And it's just been an off week, and I haven't been really thinking about photography too much. And actually, this morning I was walking around with my camera and doing an outside recording, but you know, the the uh, it was too windy, and there was a lot of vehicular traffic, and I was just like, you know what, this is this is not working out today. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta cut your losses. Uh, I know it's one thing when I do a recording, you know, in Greenwood Cemetery and there's a lot more natural sounds there and, you know, the occasional plane once in a while, but at least it's listenable. But today it was just, it was way too windy. There'd be a lot of wind noise and, um, you know, I wasn't really sure what I was going to talk about. And so I sort of packed that up and came back and I realized I got to put a show out for the middle of March and uh, I haven't yet. And like I said, it's just been a week where I haven't been, I haven't been really thinking about photography. And so, you know, what popped in my mind today is like, Hey, I'm going to rebroadcast one of my earlier shows. <laughs> and so guess what? Tom is coming back for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Only in a, in the fact that I'm re-recording, uh, sorry, rebroadcasting. Actually, you know what? Broadcasting podcast. We're going to republish. I'm republishing uh, an early episode uh, from 2015. And I'll just give you a quick little setup and we'll go right into it. But uh, I figured it, it's been a while since, um, well, first of all, I know that uh, I know you probably probably would prefer new content. I just really wanted to put it on a show, and this one has been sitting around for, geez, four years. Let me see the date now. I got to look at the date here. Hmm. Where are we? 2015. So, a little over four years. This episode's been sitting there in our early archives. 
And and so it's the episode called The Poetry of Coincidence. And it's uh, Tom and I interviewing a uh, friend of mine, ours, uh, Marco LaRusse, an official uh, Fuji X photographer. And he was our first uh, interview that we've done on the show. And so I thought I'd go back to that. And it's early enough that there may be people who are subscribing now who didn't go back and listen to that episode. Uh, and the other thing is that we had broken that episode up into two parts. So it's two half-hour parts. So what I'm going to do tonight is glue them together to make it one show. Uh, it's going to be a little over an hour long. So, the, But it was a, we had a really great discussion with Marco. And since then, uh, he's gone off and done podcasts and, and podcast networks. And at the end of the uh, show, I'll, I'll uh, tell you where he's at, where you can find him. But I figured, let me bring this show back up. A couple of reasons. A, because I wasn't inspired to do anything this month. And two, it's been four years since we heard this episode. And I think it was one of our most popular episodes. So we had the most amount of downloads on this show. So uh, for those of you who haven't uh, gone back into the archives, uh, I'd like to present to you the Poetry of Coincidence Redux. So here's Tom and me and Marco LaRusse. So, hey everybody, we are trying something new today. We are deciding to have some guests on our show. And I thought we would start really big on this first time with uh, a guest. We would go international. We're going all the way overseas. Today we have uh, a buddy of mine I know, became buddies with on Twitter, Marco LaRusse from... Uh, Germany someplace. I'm sure he'll tell us exactly where. We met on Twitter uh, initially after I bought my first Fuji X20 camera and uh, somehow we got connected through my posting of pictures, I think, through the Fuji. And uh, so, Marco, hello. Hi, Antonio. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having Welcome, me on the show. Welcome, <laughs> Oh, great to have you, man. I've been admiring your work and it's, uh, yeah, it's exciting to have our first guest be international. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Where in Germany uh, are you? Hamburg, oh, Hamburg, Germany, Germany, in the north of Germany. Yeah. So tell us a little about, bit about yourself first, so we can get that. Uh, get that out of the way. Get that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's, let's get the intros out okay, of the way. Okay. Yeah. So Marco. yeah, I'm Marco Larousse, and I'm a, a fine art street and a documentary phot photographer. Uh, here in, in, in Germany. And yeah, we actually, I also have to say that I've been listening to this podcast for quite some time. So I'm honored to be the first guest on, on your guys' show here. And yeah, I really enjoy that you guys uh, talk a lot about photography, but also in a way that uh, you're teaching people and, and explaining why you do or why something is good and, and, and should be done. So yeah, I really enjoy listening to that. And uh, to anyone who's who's listening to this show for the first time, I can strongly suggest that you go back and uh, listen to all the... Which number is this? Do you know? Which well, we're show? We're at number 16. Uh, 16, I 16. think. 16, so yeah. Sweet, back. sweet 16. They are not that long. Go back and listen to the shows. A lot of good knowledge in there. Sweet 16, right? <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Marco. Appreciate that. So, Marco, you know, um, as you probably know from some of the other podcasts, you know, one of the things that 
we like to celebrate is just the joy and fun and passion and magic of photography. You know, we're both, uh, all of us obviously off the deep end, you know, this is something we care deeply about. So we thought it might be fun to begin this first part, part one, with you telling us a little bit about your discovery of photography, your some of your early experiences and early influences. And yeah, so let's start there. Just tell us how, how you yourself discovered photography and got started. All right. Well, for me, my earliest memories of photography were when I was about six or seven years old, and that was in the late 70s, so now I just dated myself. And um, <laughs> that was when, <laughs> when I went to the convenience store on the corner, and they always used to have these grab bags for like a quarter or 20 to 25 or 50 cents. And um, I picked one which was particularly large. You have those, right? You don't know what's inside. It's like a grab bag, and you, you, you know, it's a surprise bag. And um, so I picked one which was the biggest one and took it home, opened it up, and there was a little plastic camera in there. It was a, I remember, it was a blue and uh, black uh, plastic camera made in Hong Kong. That was at the time when things were still made in Hong Kong. The, these uh, cheap things were made in Hong yeah. Kong. And, um, so I was totally excited. I got a camera. I got a camera. And my mom was like, oh, God, I got a camera. <laughs> I was like, I need film. I need film. So um, my mom, I don't know if she had it at home or she bought one. So I, I got a first roll of black and white film because at that time, color film was still more expensive and black and white was the cheap stuff, just like black and white televisions. That's what I grew up with. We had, mm. we had black and white television. Didn't have a color television yet. So um, I got this first roll and, you know, those, that was a camera. I think it was less settings than a whole guy you could just uh, basically just click and I took a few pictures and um, I was so excited to get the the results back and uh, I don't recall a lot of the images but all I recall so was black and white I took pictures from around the house my sister my parents and um, that was really cool and, and I think that was the moment when when it clicked for me that uh, photography you get a black and white result because most of the people in my family also were, were shooting black and white at that time. So I guess it all started there. And um, then it just, um, my, my dad is, was really top on technology. He always got the newest stuff. And at one day, one of those Polaroid cameras flew into our house. <laughs> from good old, that uh, old Polaroid, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, from that time on, I was uh, getting used to the instant gratification <laughs> from from taking a picture and uh, two two minutes later seeing um, what's on that. So most of my childhood of pictures of me are in a really bad uh, color, shaded, <laughs> faded <laughs> Polaroids in a little mm -hmm. box. Um, they, they they do tend to fall apart after. 30 or 40 years so so um, the polaroids uh, I'm, I'm, the polaroids yeah the polaroids oh, yeah yeah, yeah. They, they and, and the, the white part in the bottom just starts to fall apart and the corners peel off and it just so i, I probably need to sit down and scan them uh, one of these days and uh, just just to preserve some of my childhood memories and and i did get a polaroid camera too at one day when they when they were cheaper one of those plasticky ones but um i did play around with that a lot but somehow I was I was more drawn to film and um, photography was always part of my life. I was always taking pictures and you know you know I never really learned that I didn't go to school to to photography or art school. But you know that somehow 
people start asking you to take pictures at parties and you to take pictures at weddings. And it, I just ended up there. I thought, okay, you're the kid and, you know, you don't want to party anyway and you're not going to drink any alcohol. So you, you go around and take pictures. But, you know, at one time I, I found myself on, on, on a professional uh, fashion show taking pictures. And uh, so that was the time when I started to realize maybe that there is something that the pictures did turn out better than for others because I didn't really look around. Um, what was out there, what, what other people did. I'm you know, looking through magazines and newspapers, but I never really went out and said, okay, who's a good photographer? What can I learn? I just learning by doing basically a story of my life. And uh, I've done it for a long time and I've made most of the mistakes that you can make. And I've learned the hard lessons from that, especially with film. You know, <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things you can screw up with film. So I've, I've certainly learned my lessons and they, they stick you know you, you only open the, uh, the film compartment door once before you rewind the film <laughs> or you yeah. should only do it once <laughs> these kind of things so, so marco um, you didn't you didn't go to any school for photography you pretty much learned on your own yeah just just uh, learned by myself wow and, and you were mentioning the polaroids i just i just wonder how many kids have grown up like from we're kind of the same time period you know mm -hmm. the, the magic of polaroid sort of sparking that interest in in photography in general. So it's just funny that you mentioned that because we were just talking about that on our, uh, I think it was our last episode, um, mm -hmm. about the magic of, uh, I mentioned the magic of Polaroids. My first experience was with Polaroids as well. So it's just it's but, interesting you mentioned that. But there was one thing missing. What? That magical anxiety, the, the tingling in the stomach, just like you have before Christmas Eve. You, you go to the camera store and first of all, you have your little paper slip and you hope that it's already developed <laughs> and how often did you go it's like ah, it's not ready it wasn't the shipment or no they didn't have time for it yet and then you get that bag and then you know you have sweaty fingers because you're, okay let's see if it turned out or are they all gonna be just you know did i forget the lens cap or are they exposed wrong or something this magic is just never there it wasn't there with a polaroid and it definitely has gotten lost with with digital it's this instant knowing what you've done it, it, it doesn't need to be a good thing you know it's just something that that was lacking i think and that's uh, that's uh, something i really really still enjoy uh, when i shoot uh, analog but i'm sure we're gonna get to that later so you know polaroids were good but I, that feeling was always magical to me mm. I, I mean i resonate with the the idea of going to the drugstore with your little slip of paper and wondering if uh, if the pictures actually did come out and what do you have and you had that built-in delay you had to develop it and it would take seven days or five days or whatever and so you sort of were forced to wait for it and and you didn't really have a clue what you did yeah i mean yeah. in the beginning when you when you started to screw things up you learned to take a pencil on the paper and say okay frame one was uh, this is what i did and you put little notes on there um so that you could go back and, and see so for, for that digital is really really magical and, and great i i think it's uh, wonderful that um, the learning curve has gotten so steep people can learn uh, photography much much faster than they used to the, the barrier to entries is much lower so i think it's a great thing for for people who enjoy photography and maybe older people who, who never really got to learn it in the film days um, they have a chance to to learn it now and um, have people teach them and they see the results instantly so i think it made things a lot easier yeah so you've been doing photography all your life or at least a big chunk of your life right yeah uh yeah. do you do it for a living i guess no no i don't no really, <laughs> really? no it's yeah yeah really <laughs> i have a day job i have a day job <laughs> like so many of us do yeah yeah i have a day job it's um you know 
if you focus on a genre which is not really known to pay very good, <laughs> I mean, in street photography, there's, I think, very few people on the face of the earth who really made a good living. And most of them were doing this as, as part of being documentary photographers. And since the big news publications don't really hire photographers anymore, not like it used to be, and everyone has a camera and... Uh, we have heard the stories that newspapers equip their reporters with an iPhone and say, okay, don't you get just me started on that. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. We're on the same team. We're on the same team on that. Yeah, so yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really tough to feed a family on that. And um, yeah. although it would be very nice to do this full time, um, I think it would be also very difficult if you, especially if you see yourself more as an artist and um, you have to produce something. Um, that might be difficult, but we'll see. We never know. We never know how it goes. So maybe, maybe we'll all be very famous one day. <laughs> so you know, well, especially, especially with street shooting. Um, yeah, it's hard to jump in, but uh, yeah, it's you know, it's less about the commercial value, and yet you know, in hindsight, it can be really creative and artistic. And I think you know, we all appreciate the work of street photographers, and it gives you so much freedom when you're just out there shooting for your own pleasure and to create art and um i guess we'll, we'll get into some of your images in a, in a bit marco but i mean you're clearly creating some really beautiful artwork how i was going to ask you how you first began shooting in the street and and what kind of uh you know evolution have you experienced just in your own attitude towards street shooting that's a good question when did i start i think i, I went through my portfolio couple of weeks back just just to see when this switch occurred or, or my interest actually uh, first of all uh -huh. when, when, when I started street photography I didn't even know there was a genre called street photography <laughs> right yeah um, <laughs> just happened to be on the street it, right. it yeah. just it just you know it, it happened I, I was lucky I, I got to travel from very young age on my, my parents uh, dragged me around the world so I got to see a lot of cultures which is an I think a really good thing um, if you if you get to learn experience a lot of cultures. On the other hand, when you're used to seeing many different things as part of your life, it's it, it loses a little bit of the, of, the, of being special and, and being something um, that is so new to you that you think it's such such a novelty that you want to capture it. But uh -huh. for me, when I started, we didn't really travel to Asia much. We, we more traveled Europe and to uh, North America. But um, in the mid '90s, I traveled to. Asia for the first time. I think my first Asian country was Japan. And it was so different <laughs> to anything that I've seen before that I took my camera out and just started to document daily life of things and people that I saw that were so different from what I've seen in the Western world. And I just wanted to capture that for myself. And I wanted to capture that, of course, for, for, for uh, people and family at home. And um, like I said, I didn't know this genre existed and I felt really funny, <laughs> uncomfortable. Uh -huh. I felt like a spy on the street, uh -huh. yeah. um, taking pictures, uh, you know, people, private moments, well, private moments, they are in public. So this was all in public, people walking around, but I, I didn't really know what to what to make of that. I was like, if, 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 if I tell anyone uh, that I'm doing this, you know, the, it doesn't qualify as stalking because it's not one person, it's just the population in general that you that you, um, you want to capture those moments. Right. right. So um, it was something I didn't feel very comfortable of. Maybe I would have felt more comfortable if I would have known this genre existed and would have uh, 
uh, looked at the photo books of, of the great masters that this is actually a legit, a, a legit way of uh, photographing. So that's when it started and um, yeah, it just went from there. But I also have to say what made a big difference for me um, when I looked back in the years was when I switched to a digital DSLR camera. I was already shooting rangefinders back then, also film. And mm-hmm. um, when, I, when, I, when I got my first um, DSLR with a mirror slap and big lenses, I pretty much did a lot less street photography because I knew <laughs> I was out there and people would know that I took their picture. And um, pretty yeah, much you're advertising that you're a photographer while you're carrying exactly. a big DSLR. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, especially I did this most in in other countries where where it was. I mean, Asia was obvious that I was a foreigner, so I, I was really between the am I still seen as a tourist or just as a threat? <laughs> I didn't really know. I didn't know the laws if if that was even legal to to do these kind of pictures. So. Um, that was that was a big cut. I, people always say cameras don't matter, equipment doesn't matter, and in general, it shouldn't you? You just should choose the equipment that suits you best. There's no arguing about that. But yeah, I, at that time, I did a little, little bit less street photo- photography, and and you know, I don't know. It's just, it just was a couple of years DSLR, and uh, yeah, I I think really the the equipment um, had a big impact on on me doing less at a certain time in my life. Uh-huh. Marco, do me a favor. It, like, as I know what a uh, rangefinder camera is, oh, but sorry. some people might not know what a rangefinder <laughs> okay. camera is. And I always find myself a little tricky explaining it. But yeah, just describe like, and, and tell me what camera you had too. I'm really curious. Um, I had a, an old Voigtlander Vito from my mom. It was her Voigtlander. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, she, she got that when she was, I think, fourteen or fifteen, and um, it was still working fine. It was it was quiet. So so rangefinder camera basically doesn't have a mirror like a SLR camera has. You are looking, usually it's on the, well, from looking at the back of the camera on the, on the top left side is where the where the viewfinder is. And um, the viewfinder has uh, uh, framing inside depending on the lens, on, on the focal length uh, that you have. But you don't look through the lens. You're only looking through this uh, optical viewfinder with a frame giving you an approximation of what the lens will see. So the lens is completely closed off just sitting in front the the film or the sensor and you are looking through a piece of glass with a little lit frame a naturally lit frame in there and um, you have to focus this lens by aligning in the middle is this rangefinder mechanism basically you have to align a ghost image they call it mm-hmm. it's it's it's, yeah. it's it's a little matte screen in the middle and you, you you can only center focus so you have to align these um, and the coupling between the rangefinder mechanism and your lens has to work sometimes they're, they're off whack and then your pictures will never be sharp so they have to re- be readjusted yeah. but right. basically you're seeing a, a sharp picture of all of your surrounding no matter what f-stop you have because you're not looking through the lens so you're seeing the whole scene and usually the window the framing of the rangefinder what the lens sees is smaller than the whole viewfinder. So you have a little bit room to the left, to the right, to the top, to the bottom. So you see a little bit more what's what's coming in the frame, what's hitting your frame. And since I'm a right-eye shooter, looking at the top left of the camera, so basically only half of my face is covered mm-hmm. by the camera, and the left eye is always free. And, and those cameras are fairly small and quiet. There's no mirror slap. Right, because there's no so, mirror in it. There's no mirror exactly, slapping up. Exactly. Like the, yeah. 
exactly all, all you hear is, is the curtain and on the old ones or just the, the shutter um, which is not really that loud and i have my left eye to scan the scene so basically i'm looking stereo with both eyes eyes open sometimes <laughs> just mm -hmm. to see what's happening and when i see a scene i, I wait till the last minute till my subject uh, enters that uh, optical viewfinder frame and then i i align and frame the shot according to that the thing about the rangefinder cameras is that they're I mean, in my opinion, they're less intimidating, right? You talked about moving to a DSLR or an SLR. Yeah. You become more of a presence, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. the rangefinder range cameras, small. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're kind of look like, I want to say amateur cameras, but, but people don't necessarily take you as seriously, I think. With yeah, they, they, they look cute compared to a DSLR. <laughs> <laughs> I love that observation, though, of looking, you know, with one eye sort of like at and or through the camera and the other eye just kind of taking in your surroundings because, you know, I shoot from the hip a lot with my 5D with a wide angle and, and I, I don't always look through the viewfinder, um, but I'll, I'll try to, because I've, you know, obviously learned the hard way that when you, you know, when you just get in really bad habits of not looking through the viewfinder at all, you just miss all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But, but the other side of that, of, of not being locked into the viewfinder, because like, for example, especially street shooting, you know, how, when you you see something that grabs your interest and you're, you're shooting it, but if you can, kind of somehow have that other eye open or just be really aware of your surroundings and you know you might be more likely to see that person on the bicycle who's about to enter the frame or you know those different things happening so I, I wonder if that skill from you know those early days you carry that over into what you're doing now oh I, I certainly did and this is why I also prefer still today I all of my cameras except the DSLR that, I, that I've kept. I have a 5D Mark II Canon. All of my other cameras are rangefinder cameras. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm not really uh, looking back at... Um, for, for my style of photography, this has been proven. There was just a time where there was no rangefinder digital camera, real digital camera out there on the market. So I did the... Uh, jumped the 5D and 5D2 uh, route uh, one day just for the, for the image quality because I thought that was what mattered for me but I could never do this this trick with the with the left eye because um, this big DSLR when you when you shoot it you know the, the, the optical viewfinder is in the middle and you, you shoot with your yeah. right eye the left eye is covered by the rest of the camera unless you shoot in portrait mode and a lot of street shots just need the, the horizontal uh, layout yeah. so you have uh, in the street and you see more what's happening we don't have really a lot of vertical shots I think yeah that's right yeah so going back a second just for fun um, you said at some point that you weren't aware, if you were aware that there were other street photographers doing this, you wouldn't have felt as awkward. Were there photographers that influenced you or that you like at some point started to look at and say, like you started realizing this is something else that other people are doing? Were there any photographers who were like, I want to be like this guy or I want to shoot like this person in your life? To tell you the truth, not really, because I, I was so on my own <laughs> yeah, finding yeah. what I like to shoot. That I was not really influenced, and I, I know this is very, very untypical, uh, typical for for a photographer probably, but no, there was was really no one in the early stage, and even till very recently, I think I started looking at maybe two years ago, I started to to buy my first. Uh, Henri Cartier-Besson book and just to check what they used to do. <laughs> yeah, so let's work backwards now. So now you you there wasn't any influences back then, but now if you grab some books now who is it that you say wow i'm i am not like this person but 
um, I resonate with their work. Who is it now? You said Bresson, yeah, who is Bresson. a yeah. master, of course. But. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I don't even want to put myself anywhere close no, to no, that no. level. But, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, you know. yeah, I think I think um, I think that was that was a reason why 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 I uh, chose this as my first uh, book that I bought because um, the decisive moment is something that I learned very early that that's what's what counts in a, in, a, in a photography, and I'm also very much into framing symmetry architecture to work with your subject and I, I've seen not, not all of his work did but um, I see a lot of that so using natural frames yeah and the symmetry you, you know how the, all these drawings go sometimes it looks like yeah. Uh, yeah. like uh, uh, the sports moderators do at a football game so on the left tackle to the right and they start <laughs> drawing on the sheet you know I'm, sometimes I'm thinking okay guys um, no I can't follow you anymore where, where you saw that symmetry in this photo but anyway it works <laughs> yeah yeah who else? Who else do you? Um, what other books have you picked up? Actually, what? what uh, let's see. Okay, Robert Frank, Robert the Frank, Americans. Yeah. Um, Great book! Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyone who's really into street or documentary photography should definitely buy this book. I think this is the side of of uh, street or documentary photography that is very important that that any photographer who wants to document anything of of modern society for future generations should have a look at because he uh, he, he i think he was um, he was from europe right i think so i'm not going <laughs> to uh, anyway i'm not going to go on radio I'm yeah, yeah. So, sorry you know no 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 i, I can go look it up myself. right now yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i can say maybe, I'm wrong. maybe. I, 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 yeah I, th I thought that he was he was from europe and he, so he came to america and he saw it with uh, yeah. With different eyes so let's just pretend that was the case maybe yes it wasn't. yeah it sounds better and so so i think yeah to take this as a sample in the 50s i think late 50s and and just see what he saw that was for him maybe a little bit special if he wasn't from the us uh, or from that from that area that, that he was documenting but also it was still ordinary everyday life things when we look at old pictures today we say oh look at these old cars if i would have lived at that time i would have mm -hmm. taken all these pictures mm -hmm. yeah go yeah. out today today is the future historic cars right <laughs> go out do it today <laughs> it's a and, great uh, point it's a great point it's so yeah. true yeah so that's that's probably something a lesson that I, I have done a lot of things to document before but i think that's that's something that opened my eyes again to to focus even more on that and, and to remember when i go out and i take my camera with me every day when i go out keep your eyes open the city is changing buildings are being demolished new stuff is being built streets disappear parking meters do you guys still have parking meters in new york yeah they're going away they're going see away. Yeah. take your do it yeah <laughs> go out take a picture of parking meters um phone booth it's another yeah thing that's gonna exactly I'm, yeah that's... I, you know my, my kids i said okay you stand in this phone booth, I'm going to take your picture, they're not going to be there forever. <laughs> These kind of things. Uh, I think this is something that, that anyone who's into this kind of photography should pay attention to. It's going to be gone. And then you're going to say, ah, I'm not even going to start with people around you. Take yeah. as many pictures and do it now. Don't put it off. Weekend ahead, take your camera, take pictures of your loved ones. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, no, well said. Yeah, you know, I think it's great, Marco, that you were, you know, acknowledging that when you when you were first shooting in the street, you didn't even realize that was a genre of photography. And I think, you know, that's probably the case for a lot of people. And even, you know, even when people are aware of that, it's sort of like 
there's that just inescapable anxiety, I think, of, and you referred to this about, you know, being in, um, I think, when you were in Japan and, and just the sense of, like, intruding or, you know, people are just going about their lives. But I, I guess knowing that there is this genre of street photography, it, it can help people power through that initial kind of reluctance or fear. I mean, I find myself all the time, you know, I just, I'm telling myself, all right, you know, these people that I'm encountering right now, they, they might be surprised or they're not like ready to have their photograph taken or whatever, but, but you sort of see it as if you're seeing it in a book or you just know that this is a moment that deserves to be captured. And so that, that knowledge of working within a genre can kind of, I think, embolden people in a good way, you know, give you courage to, to do what it is that you feel called to do. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm, I'm quite happy to see that um, there's a lot of magazines, and especially online. You have Flipboard magazines and you have uh, Scoop.it magazines, people who, who gather information about all news on this genre, genre and um, photographers to follow and new work being published. And um, I think it, 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 we're living in a great time if, if, you, if you like if you have this street photography gene somewhere within you, this is a great time to be because uh, in the mid nineties, it, it was difficult to, to, unless you studied photography or art, you, you probably never had uh, much contact with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, for, for folks who are just discovering the joy of photography now, it, you're so right. We are in a great time because even though it, there's always that little bit of reluctance to, or hesitation to power through more and more people are used to just seeing all kinds of people, you know, take photographs everywhere. So it's a little easier, I think, to get started. So, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to be wrapping up this first half, Marco, but I'm looking forward to the second half because I, I really want to talk about some of your uh, individual shots and have you um, shed some light on them. No pun intended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and shadow. Yeah. Light and shadow. That's right. This is why we're doing it. We, we, we're sort of, I don't know, feel like I'm born into this. And uh, as you were talking last week, how long you, you've been doing photography for uh, Marco and how long we've all been doing it and how we all sort of fell into, into it in so many different directions. And I like to think that people are listening, that they're all coming from different directions and, and, and want to understand and share what, what we're all doing. So this is a, yeah. this is a great opportunity for us. And plus we have beers now. <laughs> okay. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody pull out a beer or if you don't, you know, drink, have a coffee, grab those beers. Cause we're about to get into uh part two of this conversation with Marco. So Tom, why don't you, uh, all right. Yeah. Well, I'm, I was looking forward, Marco, to just delving into your body of work a little bit and having you share a little bit more about, you know, the, the kinds of things that catch your eye when you're when you're out shooting. And I know Antonio and I have have each picked a few images that we really liked. One that that struck me was the it's kind of like an aerial view and there's a bus going by and on the back of the bus there's some eyes and it looks as if the the eyes on the back of the bus are looking over 
to the right of the image where there's two people standing against a wall. And for me, I, I guess it it's sort of captured that aspect of street photography with that is just the, the unexpected serendipity of just different things happening all in one moment that you happen to see. And when you're there with your camera, it just, it seemed like, yep, that was one of those moments. Yeah, it's... Um the poetry of the coincidence. <laughs> oh, wow. Beautiful. Nice that's, that's the name of the episode. Okay. That, could, that could be sure. a nice title for a photo book, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Let's erase this. No, that's yours. That's yours, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that was one of those moments. It's, it's, it's hard to explain. Like I said last week, I didn't learn this. It just happened. It was, um, inside of me and I just practiced and shot and looked at my pictures and look for, uh, first of all, I'm looking, I'm looking for a scene and, and later you'll see on the picture if you manage to tell that story that you saw uh, on the scene and, and my, my check is always my wife when I, when I show the picture says, do you see it? And then she tells me what she sees and if she doesn't see what I saw, I know, okay, scratch this picture, it's not working, uh -huh. because we are so emotionally attached to our pictures. We saw, we had the idea, we saw it, and we wanted to, uh, we want others to see it, but sometimes it just doesn't happen because the other people were not there. So, but that was one of those pictures which worked really well, and I saw the eyes, I saw this young couple, I don't know if they were, if they are a couple of this uh, boy and a girl, and talking to each other, and it, it could be like, maybe they didn't know each other that well yet maybe they wanted to be a couple maybe they are having a talk it's this it, is a lot there's a lot of um, potential in this in this one picture if you take if you take your time to look at it and that's that's one of the things i always tell people when you look at pictures i know we're on the internet i know things browse by if there's a picture where you think oh, this is a good one maybe Take your time and really explore the picture. Uh -huh. And this is also one of the reasons why I do print most of my work. Or oh, you do? Ones I, you do? Yeah, definitely. I print yeah. all of my pictures, which I like. They don't hit the internet usually before they didn't uh, uh, go through the printer and have been sitting on my shelf for at least a week. Really? Really? And I need to, really I need to see this picture. I need to walk by it. And then I need to see if, if, if it still feels right. And w when you have a printed picture, you take a lot more time. I mean, you go to a museum. You take a lot more time if, if you're interested in whatever the painter or the, the, the photographer has captured. And you usually take more time to explore it. It's, it's, it's also more haptical feeling. There's more to explore. Even the papers, there's so many different kind of papers. You see more depth and structure. And that's one of those pictures where if you, if you look closely, I think you can find a story. Now, now I'm telling the story and I usually don't like to do this. I'm also always hesitant to give my photos a title because um, that's one of the things that I really enjoy is to see people looking at my pictures and making up a story for themselves. I mean, here it's obvious, the eyes looking at this couple and on the right side of the couple, there's even another camera. So it could also be a Orwellish 1984 <laughs> kind of meaning to it. There's, there's, there's a lot hidden in this picture and, and I'm just hoping that people do take the time to, to look at it and just, um, yeah, let their imagination flow. So, so tell me, I, oh, go ahead. Tom. Okay, I, I just, yeah, before we move on from that picture, I just have to acknowledge, too, the, the symmetry, you know, is, is really remarkable. The, the way the, the roof of, of the building and, and the floor kind of mirror each other, and then there's that white kind of like semicircular line that just kind of, you know, 
holds everything, the gaze of the eyes on the back of the bus. And again, it's sort of just kind of aesthetic elements of this image that I, I think lifted beyond the ordinary, you know. So I guess I'm just echoing what you were saying, Marco, that some images you really just want to sit with and, uh, and take them in and appreciate all the, the different elements. I'm very thankful to the architect uh, who, who designed yeah. this. And maybe, maybe, maybe I should find out who uh, uh, architect uh, who was the architect for this bus stop and maybe send him a, a print uh, just just to be thankful because I'm I'm always thankful if if an architect did take the time to really think through that this will. I mean, it also looks good. It's lit. It's it's a little bit dark already. It's 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 dusk and uh, it's it's dawn. I think uh, in the evening and. Um, um, it was it, it was really shining. It was the light was just perfect. You couldn't just walk past. I'm sure both of you would have stopped there too because it was just it was just one of those scenes you can't walk past. Yeah, I think that's a great idea to send it to the architect. I I took a picture of an angel outside the cathedral of Saint John the Divine, and I just love this image. And one day I just tracked down the artist and sent it to him just electronically. You know, a print would have been even nicer, but, you know, he was he was touched and it was cool, you know, to then kind of establish that connection to another person whose creativity is part of the image. I'm thinking that you're going out looking for shots. Are you going out waiting for something to happen? Are you walking around? I mean, are you what what's going on when you're shooting? Is it is just you bring your camera with you everywhere you go, or are you deliberately going out and shooting? Both, but yeah. I always bring my camera with me yeah. because street photography is like it's like a stage out there, and every day there's a different play playing. Yeah, and if you don't have your camera with you, you're gonna miss a lot of these special moments. So definitely, this is one advice I always give everyone: get a camera that you feel comfortable with that you can carry with you take it along with you because these moments you say, ah, ah, i should have i could have this just doesn't uh, yeah, yeah doesn't doesn't work if you don't have your camera with you so that that's the most important and then i think what i read in, in your question is a little bit do i go out on purpose at a certain time a certain day to a certain place that would be really the exception Usually I yeah. do go out, I do have an idea. So if I, if I just, of course, if I'm commuting, uh, the, uh, the the route I'm taking is pretty much determined by where I need to go. Of course, if I go one place often, I do switch um, subway lines around a little bit just to see something different for, for myself too. But since since uh, I do carry a camera with me always, I've, I've made the point of also switching routes sometimes, taking a different route uh, home. So, so you're but, mostly on the go then? You're, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm mostly yeah. on the go, and I would say, okay, now you know, I have a uh, half day off to to. You know, this is my photography day. Then, um, yeah, I, I I will pick a certain area in town. Of course, I will look how's the weather. Is it good for outside, or should I look for places that uh, are covered uh, from from rain? But if it's sunny, um, it's pretty much yeah. Just just choose where to go, and of course, where where people are. You have to go and Hamburg is the second largest city in Germany after Berlin and um, 1.8 million people living in the city and taking all the city limit and surroundings it's about 4 million people so it's wow. uh, always enough going on so it's about the size of Brooklyn <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. it's probably probably the size of the block of the street <laughs> I think it's interesting Marco that you know how you said like sometimes you'll just take a different route home I, I you know that to me is such a great kind of takeaway for anybody getting into street shooting because part of what you want to do is just sort of 
see things with fresh eyes and maybe just, you know, take that side street that you don't normally take. And, and, and that tends to be when things happen, especially when you're, you know, when you're alert, but if you intentionally just take that extra step of putting yourself someplace a little less familiar where you might be paying more attention, be more observant and just see something you've never seen before. Yeah. I was going to add to that, like even not just for street photography, but like no matter where you go, it's very hard to get lost these days if you've got a smartphone and a GPS. And so taking that road that you don't often go on, you know, taking, if you're going on a trip and you're just saying, well, let me just find out where this goes. You know, the, the adventure of trying to find something new, but Marco, I, I, I get that by taking, I, I take a typical route every day and and this idea of like, well, what if I get off at this train stop? What's going to happen? You know, and it's like it's almost like a miracle happens. It's like you've never seen this before and you're seeing it with new eyes. Yeah, and maybe you see, maybe that's a really good corner where the light is better on that day because that's also one of the things. We are fairly far north up here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in the summertime you have a lot more light. In the wintertime you have less light and... Um, uh, season changes and the sun's changing so much that it's really hard to get um, like in three months time to get a similar shot that yeah. I, I don't try to redo shoots I'm not interested when I have covered one scene and I've got a good image then I, I don't need to do this exact uh, thing again but th- th- there was one shot that I've tried to do in analog which I've done digital and I even waited to December, to that day in December to go there. And there was no sun on that day. So I just couldn't oh, do it. Really? It needed to, be, needed to be low at a certain angle. And it was a very narrow street. And when the sun is just right at about 1.30 p.m., then, you know. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I, you know, I was uh, noticing in your pictures, and it just clicked, that uh, you're so far north and you, you've got a lot of long shadows in your shots yeah, when you've got yeah. sun. And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm thinking, oh, it didn't even occur to me. Like, oh, yeah, right. You must be the long shadows make a lot of sense and, and, and they're very exciting. Um, the, the long, hard shadows because yeah. when you have it in the evening, they, they, they soften up usually. And um, yeah. no, that's that's something. Each each location has, has their special good and bad things. So you just focus on the good stuff and make, make the most out of it. Yeah. So let me ask you this. We're street shooters, the three of us. We, we like to talk to other people who are not street shooters. One thing that's occurring to me in a lot of your pictures is you've got a human element in in your shot most often people small large and stuff like that but do do you find that as an important part of taking not only a street shot but taking a picture i mean there's not one right answer or wrong answer but i just noticed that you always seem to have a human element in it and so i don't know what do you got to say about that Mm, i guess for me it is for me doing street photography it is important i do look for the human element but that's not necessarily what street photography needs to be. I, I, I'm, I'm certainly not the gatekeeper. There's enough gatekeepers out on the internet telling us what street photography should be and what it shouldn't be. <laughs> Basically, go out, take your camera and, and capture what's interesting to you. That's street photography and it doesn't have to have a person. And I, I, I have taken pictures too without people. Um, I, I'm not sure if I've um, shown any of those on my website. Oh, now, but really? Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even tell. I'm... I'm do you know? No, <laughs> no, I don't know. No, I think I think in most of those there. Yeah, uh, mostly you have. Yeah, yeah mostly you have. Some, yeah, sometimes there's, there's they're there's small. Always, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people, it, but, yeah. Sorry, I was gonna say, in a human element doesn't necessarily mean to actually have a human being in it. I mean, having something that's that's representative of a human as well. Yeah, like like um, these these uh, murals um, on the walls. That's often right, like right. Uh, people that that can be. No, to me. Um, 
often to me that is what tells the story in the image. And I, I do try to have a little bit of a story. Like I said earlier, know that, that, that you can make up your story. What does this person do now? And I do show a human element, but I hardly ever show faces, recognizable faces. Right. Now, I could tell you that I'm just doing that because it's so super arty and it's so difficult to get a good picture with a person on it where you can't see uh, the face and it enhances your creativity so you can think of your own story. That's basically um, what happened or what, what the, the way I, I ended up doing street photography because of the legal situation that we have in Germany. Oh, is there? Is there? Yeah, <laughs> there is. And I'm one of the poster childs uh, having a problem with that and trying to trying to change some rules and laws. And uh, what, what is it in a nutshell? In a nutshell what is it? Created some, some acceptance for this. In general, it is um, even in public, each person has the right to privacy when it comes to publishing a likeness of that person. Really? So you're going on the street, you're taking a picture of someone, um, you publish it online or print it or whatever, and uh, you do run the danger that this person is going to sue you. Um, and you have to pay the, the lawyer fee and you have to take the picture down. You can never show it again. So basically, wow. um, this is a threat or this is a law that we're living with. This is more than 100 years old and um, really? wow. that, that we have to deal with. And um, there's an exception for documentary in a certain way, but that doesn't really... It's really difficult to, to go because even the newspapers sometimes don't show faces of people. They just put a black bar over, over eyes if, if they mm -hmm. take pictures of, of suspects or something. It's, it's really this privacy laws are really kind of crazy over here. And um, so basically um, the only way you can try to get around it is if you there's a freedom of art here. And if you can if you can show that it's art, then you might be okay. So mm -hmm. It's certainly a line that we're balancing on and I'm trying to, I, I think if you look at my portfolio or if, if, if a judge would look at my portfolio, I think you could say this is more art than mm -hmm. uh, just snapshots of, of people on the street. And although on some pictures you could recognize the person and that would be enough um, to, yeah, to file suit against me. But fortunately it hasn't happened yet but yeah. this is one of the dangers that we're living with so basically the the style of street photography that i've focused on is more has more been created by by laws by laws and, yeah and rules than than really the way that i would have if, if i would have the chance um and i do do it sometime but i don't publish those i'm i'm thinking the documentary aspect of of uh, contemporary society is such an important point and i really envy you guys for for being uh, well for having the right in in in, in the u.s to don't generally envy us yet because there's some state and i can't remember where that's trying to pass a similar law that uh, you can't photograph and you can't photograph a person in public, and they were saying, well, how is that going to affect other states? Or if a person in that state photographs a person in another state, and, I mean, that was in Ar Arkansas, right? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, that th that has been uh, dropped by the governor. Yeah. Don't don't. But, worry. I mean, still, I mean, it's a it's a lunatic kind of law, and uh, we're having all these problems with the photographing yeah. police yeah. and stuff like that. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're, good, okay. you're fighting a yeah. good fight, but, Marco. But but yeah, I'm 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 really. I'm, if, if if you let me get out my soapbox, I'll, I'll jump on it. Any, I just did it this weekend, <laughs> um, because people here say, so "Yeah, but it's my image, and I don't want to be." And I said, "People, you know, it's it's not about you. Street photography is not stalking. It's not paparazzi work. It's just a magical moment. You just happen to be there, and the artist, the photographer, saw right. something in that moment, and 
I'm sorry, it's not about you. It could have been anyone. Right. Um, of course, if the person dresses in a nice way or something, <laughs> that, yeah. that helps. But it's 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 really. Um, if if I would have that have if I would have the chance, I would really do this more on a, on a documenting um, today's society for future generations of how was life in 2015 in Hamburg. Huh. That's something uh -huh. that I would like to do, and I feel that I'm restricted by laws. Can't yeah. do that. And one day, one day we'll be sorry, or our our future generations will be sorry. Yeah, that, and on, uh, and on the, the scale of offenses, street photography is really low there. I mean, it's you know. You know, we're not really bothering people. We're not, I don't know. It's, it's one of these hassles that we're, we're all sort of... Fighting. You know, it's, it's not like I don't understand yeah. that yeah. someone has a problem with having their picture taken. I mean, if they say you, you can publish the picture if the person agrees to, to, um, uh, to the picture. But seriously, I mean, first of all, when, when I know I'm, my, my picture's taken, I freeze up. I can only do one face. My wife is always upset. It's like, oh, try something. No, I always freeze up. I'm... I'm horrible in front of the camera most a lot of people are like that and if you if you go on uh, digital you can do it with analog obviously you can't but if you go with a digital camera and go to i'm sorry i just took your picture you were walking over the street and the dog was looking and this was really funny situation can i show you the picture is it okay if i publish it nine out of ten times well maybe different in the u.s but people will say oh no i don't like my hair i don't right, oh, right, i'm not right. wearing yeah. the right you know then you start uh, basically restricting or censoring this work and this is not the way art works so i'm getting off my soap yeah, okay. this opportunity <laughs> well actually to to go back you were you were saying about the story of the pictures the one picture that really one of your pictures that really strikes me is this one of a man walking and there's some graffiti on the wall and you were talking about using um stuff in your frame to frame the picture this is very much a lot of triangles and stuff but i mean you've got this graffiti and you've got this man and and what's the story behind that picture i'm trying to it says rip oz yeah yeah what's going on that's um that's a picture i took with an analog camera and um in film film with a, sorry yeah with a film <laughs> no, i was like <laughs> what's film film, <laughs> film yeah, everybody film. out there there's this thing called film that people still shoot with by the way yeah, so um, there was a scene where yeah the graffiti uh, rip Oz um, basically it's a story I, I I saw this I saw this scene and I was there I was actually waiting for a couple of minutes for someone to to walk by because uh, Oz or the person who sprayed this Oz this Oz uh, was a sprayer he's lived in Hamburg since the mid nineties and he was spraying his tag his Oz all over the city and. Uh, it was quite controversial because he was seeing himself as an artist uh -huh. while a lot of people who he sprayed up on their walls they were they were going after him with the police and he was in jail for many years so but but he was totally passionate about this this spraying and um, just before i took this picture about a week before he um, was spraying on the on the rail tracks he was spraying at the the rail cars and um, he got run over and he died so mm. the whole sprayer community from hamburg went out that week and uh, put those rip oz tags uh, to honor him a little bit and um, so i saw the scene and i thought okay this is a moment in time i want to document this for my kids because this guy has been around long and his tags are going to be around probably for another 10 20 years so i saw the scene i said okay now i need someone to walk by just to give the human element and there was this guy just walking by on his lunch break bowed head a little bit and he looked sad he was probably just thinking but uh -huh. i captured yeah. in a moment where where it looked like he's seen this or he, 
he didn't spray it, but it could have been that this guy sprayed it to, to come back to my telling stories or making mm. up stories. Maybe he sprayed and he was really sad and he, he walks away from, with a bowed head from the scene. So this is something that to me was very important to, to capture. And I'm really happy it turned out, even though it was on film. <laughs> <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter, does it? No, it doesn't matter. No, but uh, I mean, I'm just struck by the complexity of the, the composition too. And there's a lot of geometry to it as well and then there's these you know the human human being and the human element of the graffiti too amongst all this hard kind of unfeeling walls and floors and stuff like that but uh, very very great use of uh, geometry and framing i think in that picture too and just the balance of it as well and another architect i have to be very thankful for <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a lot of cement too it's just it is totally it yeah. is all cement Actually, let me ask you this, since we're, we're the switch to manual guys, <laughs> we talk <laughs> about this all the time. Part of what we do is teach people how to use the manual controls of the camera because everybody's sort of wondering like why their cameras aren't taking the pictures they want. So we try to show them how to do that. So the question we have to ask, which we, ask, we plan to ask all of our guests, is it, do you shoot in manual? Often. I Often, do. yeah. Often. Um, especially my, my analog cameras are, are um, analog uh, Leica M rangefinders. So all I have is a, a exposure, uh, a, sh a shutter time, um, aperture and manual focus. That's it. There's, there's no more to it. And um, I, I did separate my portfolio on, on my website between analog and digital just just to let the viewer know maybe if, if the consistency of the image quality is a little bit different or the look is a little bit different because uh, I think you, for me I can tell um, I develop my film myself and uh, I scan it myself so I know how it turns out and I have an extreme high consistency on, on my black and white um, analog yeah. um, pictures and that's all there is to it and I must say for anyone who thinks, oh, it's crazy, how can you shoot film in these days? And I'm not even going to start about uh, megapixel size, sharpness, gray, natural looking, yeah, yeah, and not natural looking. I'm not even going to start that because yeah. everyone should find their own style and what they're happy with. But what's most refreshing to me is, especially even the digital cameras that I use, is there's only three things on this camera. And I don't, you know, I, I just set the shutter time, I measure my scene, I set the shutter time, I focus... On, on, on the dot, I, I, I use the aperture that, that's appropriate for the shutter time that I need or for the depth of field uh, I want in the scene, and that's it. And from there, I just, I can totally concentrate on the, on the, on the picture. I don't have to see if there's any arrow pointing, if, I'm, if the camera thinks that I'm over or underexposing. Yeah. No blinking, nothing. <laughs> it's just, I know it's okay, I measured it, the sun or the shadow, whatever, it's about the same. Of course, you have to compensate if, if the light changes while you're waiting or before you take the shot. But that's it. I can completely dive into this scene and just wait for the right time. And when I took the picture, I don't even have to feel uneasy about it because I can't check anyway. It's it's there. I've taken it. I hope I did the best job that I can. It's amazing, really, how you have a roll of 36 exposures. It's amazing how high your keeper rate can be. You really, really, really <laughs> focus on the scene. And of course, you need the, 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 the technical background. But film is extremely forgiving, so you can't really go too wrong mm. on that. You can, you can be like two stops off. It's yeah. just not going to kill it. So. And, and Marco, what camera are, are you using when, as you're describing this, you know, shooting in film? The, the film cameras? Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah mostly well, for street photography, I mostly use uh, 
um, Leica M2, M3, and M6 camera. I'm 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 a big fan of one lens, one camera. And when I wanted another focal length with my Leicas, I had to buy another body because it wouldn't have worked otherwise. And then the M3 is only goes uh, 50 millimeters or higher. So um, and 50 is the longest that I would ever use. And and so I got the Leica M3 for the 50, and I use the M2 usually for 21, and um, the M6 for my 35 millimeter lens. Uh huh. Nice. What about digital? What's the main, my, 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 my digital is not a Leica. <laughs> no. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's really split because they're so expensive if it's just a status symbol of it's a good camera. I, I would like to try one of the new monochrome cameras, I think, that would really? be interesting. Really? Just to, yeah, I would like oh. to try it. Right. If, if, if Leica would give me one for a week, uh, just to see how it differs from, from the film results. And, and they do even make one, I think, not, not a, a black and white one, but a color one where it doesn't have a... Uh, LCD display, so you don't see uh-huh. anything. So it's just like the old, the old feeling. So it's it's it's, it's just that one is even more expensive. Anyway, um, I'm currently using the Fuji X100 series cameras uh-huh. for my everyday cameras, and I also have a Fuji X Pro One for my digital, um, more versatile camera if I need different focal length. So th- this is where we're we're in the same ballpark, Marcos. Like you know, that's how I met you. Online, at least through Twitter, is the or common use of the Fuji camera. Um, mm-hmm. And I've said it a bunch of times on here how the Fuji camera has sort of changed me in some way. So we were talking about that earlier, I think, in the previous episode. But, you know, gear has some play in this. I mean, it's not like to go off and say, I need to buy a better camera because it's going to make me take better pictures. But gear does have some some influence. You were talking about being influenced by laws gear has an influence on sort of the way we're shooting and, and you talk about an everyday camera for me the, the fuji cameras happen to be such a great thing to carry around all the time and it really opened up my eyes to a certain way of shooting so uh i'm wondering if, if you've experienced that or what made you go to a, to, a, to a fuji style camera i mean what was it absolutely um on the, on the last show i think i talked about liking to use uh, rangefinder cameras right right um, and yeah. for the reason to, that i you know everything that I explained, seeing the scene better, and everyone, anyone who's not uh, heard it, please go back and <laughs> listen yeah. to that show. Um, and, and, and Fuji, Fuji was never really on my, I knew Fuji for film, but I've never had a Fuji camera before um, they announced, um, I think in 2010, uh, was it 2010 or 2012, yeah. the, um, the X100. And I, I was looking for a smaller camera. I had the 5D Mark II back then. And I told you that I was doing less street photography because right, it was just right. too big. I didn't have it with me all the time. And I was looking for a smaller camera, but I was looking for a smaller camera that worked like the old rangefinder cameras that I was used to. And when Fuji showed this, I was like, this is the camera. This is uh, the aperture ring is where it should be on the lens. Um, you have exposure dial right there. And um, it, it looked like the camera the way I wanted to use it. And um, so I was one of the very first one, fortunately, uh, who got one of the original X100s. And um, the really? camera was great. Right. The image quality was great. It was a little bit over four years ago. But the first firmware was simply horrible <laughs> it just <laughs> didn't work so i was so frustrated because the camera was great but there was some things that really didn't let me take the pictures that i wanted to because just close focus distance before you have to switch to macro was 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 yeah. too long and you have to push five buttons before you get there and switch back and it was it was a really 
hate-love relationship back then. And so I wrote long letters to, to the uh, Fuji reps and said, you know, great camera, but please change this, 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 this. And I think a lot of people did it back then. And, um, and they funny listened. Thing was, they listened. I mean, yeah, they're funny listening. thing was they, they yeah. did, and they yeah. did change a lot of things. And they, the, 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 the Fuji X100, the original one, was, was upgraded so many times. And it, it, it was like three times a new camera with, with the big firmware updates that they did. So it was amazing. So I felt like uh, not only was the camera a piece of hardware that I wanted to carry with me to do the photography that I wanted to do, but also it was a company that... Um, did something that I've never experienced being a Canon user for many, many years before. Um, it never happened. They would switch firmware when there was something seriously broken after the, the camera mm. <laughs> hit the market. Okay, the 5D Mark II, I think, with the video stuff, that surprised them a little bit too, that, that people wanted to use it for that. I think they did a few yeah. firmware yeah. updates yeah. for the video, but I, you know, I'm not a video guy. For, for me, my, none of my cameras needs to have. Uh, photo cameras needs to have video so I couldn't care less but I wasn't used to that listening and giving upgrades and features without making you buy the new camera a new camera so that's um, one of the reasons why I stuck to Fuji I like their cameras I like the lenses on the X-Pro1 they have some fantastic glass and um, yeah I'm, I'm hoping that they will develop this and I'm hoping that they will especially do the rangefinder line you know yeah, they have the xc1 yeah. now which is more like a dsr competitor don't really care for that but i hope that, that the potential x pro 2 um will be a little bit more like my manual Leicas, hopefully yeah i don't think their their rangefinders are going away but uh they're doing a good job and i just wanted to ask you because i just saw that you i mean relatively recently you became a fuji x photographer what does that mean what is that exactly yeah, I think it was actually a little bit over a year ago. Oh, it's a year um, ago, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a little bit over a year ago. Right. I'm an official ex-photographer, which basically means that Fuji contacted me at some time and, and said, um, you know, we like your work. Uh, would you like to become one of our official ex-photographers? We would feature you on our website. And I said, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> so, so um, yeah, well, it's awesome. my portfolio. Yeah, I'm, that's super cool. Yeah. 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 So um, I'm one of seven official ex-photographers, but I do buy my cameras myself. So just just uh, to be clear, <laughs> I would give you full disclosure, but uh, I'm buying my stuff myself. And, and uh, um, this is just some way of Fuji. I, I guess, you know, I've been I've been pretty active uh, on Twitter and on the community. And I have a blog called the Fuji X Files, where I basically just explain show what these cameras can do and giving some tips and tricks um, of how to operate them better because a lot of people who switched back then from the first uh, DSLR to a mirrorless were a little bit struggling with some of the things like like uh, um, autofocus. Mm. You have to work a little bit different. Yeah. Than, and that really helped me with my all my analog experience because I was used to uh, understanding basically a contrast autofocus um, works a little bit like our our um, uh, rangefinder cameras. You have to just find an edge to align to. Right. And right. it has to be at a certain certain angle. So um, that helped me. And a lot of people who never experienced that and always had a great autofocus in their Nikon or uh, Canon cameras, they, they were frustrated from day one. And a lot of people return it. I said, no, people don't return it. Just try this and try that. And so trying to be helpful out there. And um, in the beginning, I just did it to to help people, and I wanted to make sure that Fuji is, is successful with these cameras because I really, really wanted them to keep on developing them. But I think I don't have to worry about that anymore. No, I think <laughs> I think we're all set with that. And um, 
so we're we're running out of time here, and there was just one more question I think I want to ask you. So sort of sum up about because it's mostly about your work and what people can take away with it. But what it, what is it that you want? What would you like the people who look at your work to take away from it? Well, since this is more of a fine art than documenting everyday life, it's really I want people to look at my images and take the time and make a story up make up a story what happened there kind of like taking one frame out of a picture you know Antonio you, you, you're a camera guy you're doing a lot of films so you, mm. you know that much better than, than I do and for me it was always the magic in photography was that you have one frame so make it count and, mm. and try to you, you can't tell a whole story in a picture but I mean look, look at a lot of the, the great influential pictures um, that uh, document certain mo moments in history. It's one picture, and this picture tells such a strong story. So I, I'm trying to tell stories in my pictures, although they are not changing the world, but just everyday stuff. So yeah, I, I just hope people take time and and uh, look and um, maybe yeah, think of a little story what happened there. Taking the time, yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Marco. Again, it's really a pleasure and. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's uh, remind people where they can see your images. Yeah, on my on my website, that's the best place to go, which is um, my website, Marco, that's M-A-R-C-O, LaRousse, L-A-R-O-U-S-S-E dot com, all written together. And um, on Twitter, I'm at Hamburg Cam, Hamburg, like the city, and Cam, C-A-M, like a camera. That's where they can find me. Great. And one last advice, people always take your camera with you yes yes <laughs> the worst thing is that when you're walking down the street and you're like i see something i should oh, take a picture okay sorry i need to i need to expand this take your camera with you and always have it ready in your hand it doesn't do you any good in your bag if you're a street photographer with a camera in your bag you're actually a landscape or architecture photographer <laughs> like well that. said yeah marco this is great it was awesome that you could be our our first guest and it was uh Maybe not the last. Maybe we can have you on again because... Yeah, you have to come to New York and do some shooting where uh, the laws are a little more relaxed. <laughs> oh, uh, not, that was just an invitation and it's on air. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I sent you my, my data to, to uh, organize a trip for me. Okay. <laughs> cool. Marco is great. We're going we're gonna to wrap it up here, but uh, thanks so much for coming on. I really enjoyed it. And if you ever want to have me back, I'm more than happy to come. Absolutely. We're going to, you know, next Fuji camera comes out, next thing comes out, we're going to call you first. But we don't want to talk so much about gear. No, but we got to talk a little bit. Of gear. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. Bit. But the those, next... Fuji, those Fujis are cool, I got to say. Yeah. I don't, and I don't have one, so I can No, no, you got to get one. Unbiased. And believe me, there's a lot more questions I want to ask you about your work, but uh, we'll right. save that for the next time. Okay. I'm just going to wrap it up right now. Thank you, Marco. Yeah, I just have to say thanks so much. I, I learned um from listening to you and it's just uh always inspiring to hear somebody who cares deeply about photography that's it's a contagious feeling and it's it's a good feeling so yeah, thank great. you thank you very thank much thank you for letting me tell my story <laughs> yeah and uh how can we how can people get in touch with you maybe you can have some show notes and just uh link them to my we'll to my uh, website which is basically just my name marcolarousse.com and on Twitter, I'm probably best known as uh, at Hamburg Cam. Hamburg. It's Hamburg, like the hamburger. Yeah. Dot uh, and Cam. 
you know, listening to that conversation again with me and Tom and Marco, realizing how much fun that was, and especially that being uh, our, you know, first interview with somebody uh, on our show. And we really liked it. And it was great to have Marco on be the first one on the show. And you can kind of hear the rough edges a little bit, but you know what? Uh, we just got better and better and better over time. So it was great having Marco on again. And just to add to his contact information, you can still find him at all the sites that uh, he listed. But now, you know, it's been four years and he's gone off and started his own podcasts. Um, so go and check him out on photopodcast.com. That's photopodcast.com. It's a very simple uh, uh, address to find out. And he's done so many new shows since... Uh, since he's been on uh, with us four years ago, and he's part of the Photo Podcast Network. I believe he's one of the co-founders of that. So go check him out. He's done a lot of stuff, and he is a busy guy. And you know what? My plan is to get him on the show again, find out what he's doing, and have him uh, have him uh, catch us up on all the stuff that he's doing. And, and uh, yeah, it'd be great to have him on. Uh, yeah, and I kind of miss, you know, I don't know if maybe I can get Tom to come back on again. <laughs> I don't know what the chances are of that Tom's been a busy guy. But it was really fun to hear uh, the three of us talking again. And uh, yeah, so uh, go check him out. And in the meantime, if you want to reach out and uh, talk to me, uh, one of the best places to find me is on Twitter at amrosario or at Switch to Manual. I'm still posting the Switch to Manual uh, um, Twitter site, Switch, the number two manual, actually it is. Uh, Switch to Manual site is still kind of under construction. I still haven't decided what to do with it. Uh, again, you know, might maybe mothballing it. I'm not sure what the plans are with Switch to Manual, but it, we're not. I'm not getting rid of it. You know, Switch to Manual is too much part of my existence here and what how the podcast came to be and just what I'm doing with education and stuff like that. So until I figure it out, you know, the, the best way to contact me is either, you know, uh, on Twitter or even through my own website, which is uh, amrosario.com. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook. You know, we, we get, I like having a Facebook presence. So, uh, yeah. So, look, until, uh, you know what, we're getting into spring. And, the, and by the time I'm recording the next episode, hopefully the magnolia is blooming. Uh, I'll let you know when I go check outside and see what it's like. Anyway, thanks for joining, and uh, yeah, I promise, uh, I don't promise, I hopefully uh, I will uh, not do too many of these replays, although I really wanted to do this one. It's great to glue them together and make a uh, double episode into a single episode. So anyway, thanks for joining, and uh, see you later, and adios.